grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The tortoise and the hare. The boy who cried wolf. These are two of Aesop's famous fables where we learn life lessons such as slow and steady wins the race and if you're known to be a liar, no one will believe you even if you are telling the truth. Many of Aesop's fables, we recognize them as straight-up fiction because they include things that simply cannot be. Oftentimes it's animals who are talking and reasoning in ways like only humans can do. Yet fables can come in many shapes and sizes, not just what is immediately recognized as what Mr. Aesop put together. Think of the close cousin of historical fiction, where it's often hard to tell where the true events end and the exaggeration and imagination begins. Or perhaps you consider a con man's story, which is a web of lies all around a little bit of truth just to make it believable enough. When we read Jesus' transfiguration account, how is it that it struck you? A straight-up fiction? Exaggeration of true events? A web of lies around a kernel of truth? Is a factual account of what actually happened? In many ways, Jesus' transfiguration can seem like something that is not so real because of what happened and the glory that we see Jesus himself have there. As we spend time this morning, look at that account and what the Apostle Peter said 30-some years later, we see who it's all about. The glory of our Lord Jesus Christ that is confirmed in here by witnesses and a glory that is preserved for us today in the Word itself. Many times when people looked at Jesus walking around Israel, they saw him as just a mere man. He did not make full and frequent use of his power and glory that he has as God himself. But on this Mount of Transfiguration, well, Jesus made quite the exception to his normal way of doing things. We heard it in our gospel earlier how four men climbed the top of a mountain, Peter, James, John, and Jesus. And on top of that mountain... That's where Jesus let his glory shine as the Lord himself. His face and his clothes shined like the sun. He talked with Moses and Elijah, two believers from the Old Testament. And then God the Father made his presence known with that cloud of majestic glory. And he said from heaven, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then just like that, It all vanished, leaving just four regular-looking men on the top of a mountain. If you were to write down this transfiguration account by hand with pencil and paper, and then to use a nice, strong eraser to erase all the things that seem a little bit unlikely or impossible, what would you have left on your paper? You have four men walking up to the top of a mountain. If you race like me, a whole bunch of smudges across the whole rest of it, and four men walking down the mountain. 
what you would not have is any evidence of the glory that Jesus has as the Lord himself. You see, in many ways, this transfiguration account, it sounds just like one of those many fables or historical fiction or a, a web of lies around the kernel of truth. And we don't believe those things. Why do we believe this account to be a factual accounting of what happened? That's because of the witnesses that attest to it. The eyewitness account of the Apostle Peter and the spoken witness from God the Father. Peter, he saw what happened on that mountain with his own two eyes. Now it's true, we don't remember everything that we see with 100% accuracy, but there are some things that you will never forget that you have seen. Like when she finally said yes to the big question. When you said goodbye to the baby of the family as they left the house for good. When you said to your loved one, I'll see you in heaven one day. When you turned in that two weeks notice that you've been wanting to give for a long, long time. Yes, it had been 30-some years since Peter saw that account. But he did not forget what he saw on that mountain. He saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in so many different ways. Let's not forget about that other witness we have on that mountain, God the Father. With that cloud, he made his presence known as Peter, James, and John had read about in the Old Testament so many different times. With his voice, he tells us what exactly what's on his mind. That this Jesus is not a mere man. No, he is God's own son. A son with whom he is well pleased. You see, up to this point, Jesus had retained his mission and maintained his credentials to be our Savior. And when he made his way down that mountain, he would begin his final journey to Jerusalem, to the cross that he would die on. God the Father, knowing all things, when he looked ahead in the future, do you know what he saw Jesus doing? Entering the home run stretch and getting ready to knock it out of the park to be our Savior. That's why he's so well pleased with his son. Because it was as good as done what he was going to do. And if Jesus was not as perfect or as glorious as it says here, well, you can be certain the Father would not have said any of these words on that mountain. Because this account is what truly has happened. We receive the glory of a one who looks so simple, that of the Lord Jesus himself. A glory that we often do not see in this way. Because many times he kept that glory hidden from the general sight. And in many ways, we are very well pleased with Jesus for hiding that glory from we sinful humans. It was in service that he came to us in a humble human form. So he could keep the law and live in our place. It was in service to us that he hid his glory so that sinners could come to him and to listen to him instead of being scared off and to realize how horrible I am in light of who he is. In service to us, Jesus came to us and humbled himself to die on that cross 
so that with his power and glory as the Lord, he could use it to entirely benefit us and to give us what only he can. That forgiveness that wipes our slate of every sin and the promise of the full measure of glory that will be ours when we get to heaven and the resurrection of the dead. Who is it that we see on this mountain? Well, that's confirmed by those witnesses. It's Jesus himself. And the glory of the Lord that he has always had. I'm guessing you would find it to be nice if we had some witnesses like this to remind us of this glory that Jesus has. Someone that we know who was an eyewitness to what Jesus did. Or even God the Father speaking from heaven to make it clear what the case was. We don't expect God to provide such witnesses. He can if he wants to, but we don't expect him to. But he has given us a witness that is just as reliable, that preserves the glory of Jesus as seen so long ago. A witness that is preserved in the written word of God. Nowadays, we call this written word the Bible, and we hear how the Bible came to us in these verses how no prophecy came by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit. Though it's true that sinful humans wrote the words of the Bible, it wasn't their ideas that they were putting on paper. It was God's. As the Holy Spirit guided and inspired them to record His word. As such, we look at this written word for what it is. God's perfect, infallible, and inspired written witness for us to know and to read, to know who our Savior is. And in this written witness, he preserves the glory of Jesus, just as if we had been on that mountain of transfiguration ourselves. But you and I both know that that, chart, that claim can be challenged, that this is the word of God. Some people try to knock down its reliability, saying that the words that we have, well, who knows if they're what the Spirit actually inspired? But liken it to a game of telephone, where you tell a message from one to another, whispering in their ear. And if you play that game, you, I'm sure you've had the same experience I have had. Before too long, that message gets so garbled that you have no idea what was said originally. They translate to this Bible saying, for the near, nearly 2,000 years, this game of telephone has been going on across language barriers with perhaps suspect motives and using copy and paste techniques that were not found on computers for a long, long time. So they have us ask, can you be so certain that these words are reliable? This is what the Spirit inspired to be written? other critics and come after the content of the Bible. They dis dismiss the supernatural, the miraculous, and the impossible because it just simply can't be. But they take the words that are there and they redefine them, interpret them within the human frameworks of our history and science and philosophy as if we can contain and determine what God means to say. All with the end point of us asking the question, if you can't be reliable about the Bible, well, how can you trust it? 
what does that make Jesus out to be? Is he the glorious Lord Jesus Christ we call him to be? Though we may have doubts in our hearts, there's nothing to doubt in this written witness. For it is completely reliable because of the Holy Spirit. Take those words that we find in our Bibles. And that game of telephone in no way describes how we have the words before us today. Both Christians and critics alike have looked over the ancient and widespread evidence, ran the statistical analysis models, and came with the conclusion that what we have, well, that's what the Spirit inspired so long ago. And it's only the baseless conspiracy theories that try to say otherwise. For the content of that Bible, for what it actually says, well, just look at it. Look at the predictions for telling what is going to happen. How could humans know what's going to happen hundreds of years down the road? Look at what it says about who our God is and what he does for us. How could we ever know that? Because it doesn't come from us. Who does it come from? Again, as our verses said, men spoke from God as they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's in this completely reliable written word that we find the preservation of God's truth. Who our Savior is, what he's done for us, and what is ours because of his. Just as Peter, Saul, and God the Father declared with his word, so we have before us in the very same real way, this is the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. All found in that word. And Peter, he knew how treasure, how much of a treasure this word was. And he also knew that his time was coming to an end on earth. That's why he urges his readers to pay attention to this word as if to a lamp and a shining in a dark place. Because without that light, well, it's, it's not so good. You're surrounded by the darkness. You are completely lost and surrounded by who knows what dangers just lurking there to get you. In the same way, this Bible, it is that light that shines away the darkness of sin. With that light of Christ and the glory he has. Assuring us that we are never lost, but we are always found in his grace and in his glory because of what he has done for you and for me. Showing us the dangers that are around us so we know the threats to our souls that rip us away from our Savior so we can know how to pray to our Lord for specific guidance and advice in certain issues. It's all what's in this word. And so Peter urges his listeners to pay attention to it until the day comes where the darkness of sin is no more. That is, when the last day dawns and the morning star himself, Jesus Christ, appears with all of his glory that we finally get to see with our own two eyes. But Peter's urging is not just for his original readers. It's also for people like you and for me. To pay attention to this word which alone keeps sin's darkness at bay. Which shines with the light of Christ that we certainly find in no other place in this world. To show to us who our Savior is. Not a mere man, but the Lord himself who took your sins away on that cross.
is this word that we come to. It's nothing like a fable or exaggeration of true events or a con man's web of lies. It's reliable. And it tells us what actually happened. When we see Jesus' transfiguration account, where we see that glimpse of Jesus' glory, yes, it seems very strange how we typically see him, but it's not an aberration. It's who he truly is. He's showing us just a little bit of that. As confirmed by those two witnesses, with Peter's eyewitness account and God the Father's spoken voice, we know who he is, our glorious Lord and Savior and none other. And we are well pleased with him who, who hid that glory so he could take our sins away and to open to us the gates of heaven. Though we don't have witnesses like these before us, we do have just as reliable a witness which is preserved for us in the word that we call the Bible. Yes, people may attack its word and its content, saying it's less than reliable, but in no way is that true. Rather, this is by the Holy Spirit for us to know to which we can trust Him with all our heart without a hint of doubt within us. And we also listen to Peter's word. Pay attention to this written word as you word to a lamp shining in a dark place. For it alone can keep sin's darkness away from you. Come to the word where it's so, be, where so easy to be found. At a church home like Grace, whose sole existence is to gather sinners around this word so that we can better know who our Savior is and live for him in our daily lives. Alongside your friends and family, as you treasure, uh, un, uh, uncover the treasures of God's word together or just on your own in a private moment. Pay attention to this word because it will never fail you. Because within it shines the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.